small place, twenty miles west of the capital of Wales, and it's a small town surrounded by countryside called Bridge End. And it hit the headlines a few years ago for all the wrong reasons, and some suggest that what was happening then has never really stopped, but that it's just not being reported anymore. Perhaps it begins when teenager Jenna Jones was found hanging from a tree in the woods named locally the Snake Pit by a man walking his dog. The horrified man in his sixties said of the terrible discovery, I was shaken to the core. It was so shocking to find this young girl. Why are young people doing this? he asked. I can't understand it all. What's going on round here? One of the best friends of the girl who was found hanging in the woods was called Dan, and he said to reporters who came to cover the story, I can't get my head around this. She was completely fine when I was talking to her yesterday. Lisa, the mother of the dead girl's best friend, added, I saw her only last night, and she didn't have a care in the world. She was always laughing, and that's who she was. I can't understand what's going on round here. Here is a rural post-industrial area of Wales. A small town surrounded by woods and moorland, approximately an hour's drive from the National Park the Brecon Beacons. Only a few months prior to this young girl's suicide, her teenage cousin, Zach, had also hung himself. It was 2008 now, and this girl, found at Snake Pit Woods, was the 17th suicide of teenagers in the same small area. It began with 18-year-old Dale, who hung himself in 2007. His friend, Di, hung himself the next month. Two days before the funeral, another friend hung himself in the woods. Di's stepfather spoke to the Times newspaper, describing how inexplicable to him it was. His stepson was a naturally friendly boy, liked by everyone with a lively nature and plans in place to train as a painter. His stepfather said, Why did you do it? We'll take that question with us to the grave. After an evening, hanging around the local streets with his mates, the boy had set off to walk home, and it was during that walk home that something seemed to happen. Something that caused his decision to kill himself. Sixty days later, 21-year-old Lee got up from his laptop, went out and hung himself. Then a boy called Liam was found hanging in the woods one day. By the start of 2012, 79 young people had hung themselves in this small area. Happy-go-lucky Sean Rees 
hung himself from a tree on a hill, followed by 26-year-old Neil, also found hanging in the woods. Kelly was found hanging hours after her cousin Nathan was also declared dead by hanging. Natasha and Angie followed suit. Then Carwin was found hanging from a tree in the woods, followed by Anthony, then Elaine. The list of names grow and grow, every time suicide by hanging. Justin's mother cannot understand what drove her son to do the same thing. He walked out the front door and was found hung in the woods. It can never be explained, she told reporters. He'd looked me in the eye and told me he would never do that. Then one evening we had a silly argument. He stormed upstairs, came back later and threw a cord at me. It snapped, he said, showing her that he'd just tried to hang himself. At this point, he called himself an ambulance and at hospital was assessed by the mental health nurse. Bizarrely, he was then sent home. Despite telling her, he had voices in his head telling him to do bad things. Shortly after his return home, despite his girlfriend being with him in his room, he left the house again, taking a belt with him. The family and police quickly searched the woods for him, but they were too late. By the time they found him, he was dead. To this day, said his mother, I have no idea why. Even a young woman called Michelle, who didn't live in the area, suddenly hung herself on a visit when she was there seeing her boyfriend. There were others who were not successful in their attempts. Fifteen-year-old Leah has no recollection of having tried to hang herself. Though others close to her know only too well what she tried. What was highly unusual about all of these suicides was that not only was this only happening in so large a number, in so relatively small a rural area, but they were also only occurring in a specific age range. And again, highly unusually, they were missing from practically all these suicides any suicide notes. None of them left any. There was never any evidence of foul play, however, and no implications at all to suggest that these were murders. The evidence was very clear that they were suicides, and they were all carried out in exactly the same way, using exactly the same method. A Dr. Johansson of Umea University, whose specialist field is the study of teenage suicide, said, It's the largest cluster of teen suicides in modern times. This was a unique occurrence. Previously, nothing on this scale had ever been heard of before. The area itself is one of high unemployment. It's not a city and jobs prospects are not good for teenagers or adults. So the result is higher poverty, less advancement, 
low motivation and a lower standard of living there. But, however, this is common in many areas of Wales and the UK, particularly in areas where coal mines and other industrial industries have declined. But young people hanging themselves had not become an epidemic in any other rural or post-industrial areas apart from this one. Well, the first theory developed by the media was that this was some kind of interlinked suicide pact, a sort of domino chain effect, emotional contagion, where each friend, so upset from the death of their friend, followed the previous one to death. But although they almost all occurred within a 15-mile radius, not all of the victims knew each other. One of the girls whose attempt was unsuccessful told a Vanity Fair journalist, I never knew the others, but my head kept telling me to do it because everything would be okay. While the local authorities and the police at first dismissed any connection between the suicides, they then went on to state there was a strong link to social networking sites, given that all of the young people had access to these sites. But there was no evidence of any kind of collusion or encouragement towards each other. There was no taunting or egging each other on to kill themselves. There just wasn't any evidence there, despite what the police said. The coroner, Followed the theory of the internet playing a major role, too, but there was no internet death pact. Suicides among young people have become more common in school-aged children, where there has been evidence of online bullying, for example. But none was found in these cases. And never before had such a cluster been found. The media, particularly the tabloids, then came under attack by the local authorities and police who were accusing them of sensationalist reporting. And there were those in the local area who felt that by covering the growing numbers of teen suicides, it could somehow be normalising the procedure, if not blatantly encouraging people to kill themselves, by having each case on the front cover of their newspapers every day. Stephen suggested there was a resulting media ban imposed on reporting these cases. But that's where the more sinister theories come in, which we'll talk about. The only thing that was becoming more clear was that everyone, from those who lived locally to nationwide, were becoming more and more concerned and perplexed by the seemingly inexplicable and unceasing outbreak of suicides. People wondered, why were they all using the same method? When research suggests it's not the most common method, particularly for young women to use. Some of the victims were discovered during their inquests to have been taking antidepressant medication. In nine of the inquests, there's mention of the fact that they were taking them. Some were also found to have traces of drugs such as marijuana. But 
Coroner verdicts in these cases stated that the amounts in their systems were not of a high enough level to have given them suicidal ideation. Independent of the coroners, a Dr David Healy, a psychiatrist, came out and stated, The link here isn't the internet. It's drugs like antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds can trigger suicide. Being an expert in this field, he's surely right about the suicidal side effect of these meds. However, of the millions of people around the world currently taking them, the resulting suicides are nowhere near as high as that of the cluster in the rural Wales town of Bridgend. And they're not all by hanging. And again, only some, a small portion, of the suicide victims were taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. What he also added, however, is, is startling. He said the hangings continue unabated and the true figure may be in the 90s. Well, he wrote this in 2013, so in fact, it's probably even higher than that now. And perhaps there really is a media blackout because the cases are not being reported like they were before. And according to Dr Healy, coroners don't legally have to rule deaths as suicide unless there is very clear evidence that they are. Of course, it can be stated that a body hanging is clearly a suicide, but coroners can rule these cases as accidental or misadventure or leave them open. Coroners rely on clear evidence, such as a suicide note, which we know in the Bridge End cases there weren't any. So the possibility then is that the recurring suicides that could still be happening are being ruled as anything but suicide. When I was looking into this in 2015 for one of my books, despite everyone thinking that they suddenly stopped, investigative journalist Derek Goff said, it's as though a switch was turned off, which in itself is highly strange. And he's one critic of the, the actual true number of hanging suicides there. He said, when I was first researching it for the book, that there's been 134, but the official figure is 79. And that was in 2014. He said there is a media blackout. He calls it a place wrapped in secrets. Well... There were a lot of strange theories going around back then and they haven't really stopped and a lot of it's speculation and maybe a little bit out there. But, but fringe groups from the outset began to speculate that there was something very malevolent happening. Because people were asking, was something driving these young people on to kill themselves, urging them on, telling them to do it? Were they somehow being influenced other than by just hearing about other young people's suicides? Were they hearing something else other than the local chatter about the deaths? Was something literally getting inside their heads? Well, perhaps we should look more closely at what some of the survivors have said. What did one of the girls mean when she told Vanity Fair magazine 
after her unsuccessful suicide attempt, she said my head kept telling me to do it because everything would be okay. And then there was Justin, who was deemed fit enough to be discharged from hospital as having no mental illness, despite having just tried to kill himself, and telling the nursing staff there at the hospital that he had voices in his head telling him to do bad things to himself. So these two young people both claimed they were hearing voices telling them to kill themselves, yet neither had any previous history of schizophrenia, which would be the only mental illness where they may have heard voices in their heads. And why did Leah, who also attempted to hang herself, say she had no memory of it afterward? Why could she not remember? Has something temporarily happened to her to cause the episode? If it wasn't mental illness causing it, because mental illness doesn't come on that fast, that sudden, then where were these voices coming from? Indeed, one could even speculate that the sudden increase in young people there seeking sudden help from psychiatrists and being put on medication to control their anxiety, their newly manifested symptoms of anxiety and severe depression could perhaps, possibly, have been because of what they were hearing in their heads. But where were those voices coming from? Why did one of the deceased who lived in another part of the country, then go on to kill herself, while on a visit there to see her boyfriend. Was something happening in the geographical area to cause these voices? And again, because so few left suicide notes to show preparation of what they were intending to do, was it almost as though something inside of them suddenly snapped? Was it, as some were beginning to think, more likely that they were somehow targeted and triggered to kill themselves? The Daily Express newspaper, back in 2014, featured the claims of a Dr. Roger Coghill, who said he'd discovered that all the young people lived far closer than normal to a telecommunication mast. He claimed there was strong circumstantial evidence that the masts could have triggered depression in them. The newer masts are now of higher power, it said, in order to enable more data to be passed through them from phones and laptops. And maybe we should be thinking about this now that 5G has come in. But anyway, surely there were other areas back then in the UK where this was also the case. In much more built-up cities, for example, surely the masks were a lot closer to lots more people. And, in fact, the award-winning science writer Ben Goldacre refuted Coghill's claims, stating that his data was highly flawed, as did the telecoms companies, of course, saying that this was simply not the case that masks could simply not have this effect on people. Well, among the fringe theories, it went a little bit further, though, because there were those who pointed out that the Tetra, the police and government agencies, new two-way radio communication system, 
was making some police officers and emergency service responders very sick due to its microwave pulsed frequency radiation. The implication here was not just that it was perhaps being used, but rather that its frequency was in some way being manipulated and directed at the young people, not by the police, but through subversive use of the Tetra Towers. Well, that sounds a little bit extreme. But Dr. G. Highland of Warwick University, an expert in physics and biology, has said, with low frequency pulsing, behaviour and mood can be influenced from depression to rage, depending on the frequency modulation used. And perhaps most crucially, he says, it's actually possible to intercranially induce sound and words. He's saying then that words can be sent into someone's head. They would hear the words and the sentences inside their heads, words that were not their own, and which no one else could hear. But again, this Tetra system is in use everywhere. Why manipulate it in this area? Why would anyone wish to do that? There had to be more to this, something far more specific. Speculation grew in the minds of conspiracy theorists that either these Tetra Towers of Telecommunication masts were being used in a nefarious way by government agencies as a way of transmitting microwaves into the heads of this specific targeted group of young adults as some kind of twisted experiment in covert mind control and remote influencing. Is there any possibility this could be in any way likely? Well, certainly far less harmful, perhaps though useful to serve as an example of technology that's been developed, is the introduction of the mosquito device, which has been used on UK streets serving as a form of remote influencing to influence and control behaviour. This has been used as an antisocial behaviour, sonic deterrent, designed to repel troublemaking youths from an area. The device emits a nasty sound wave that only young people can hear, generally, can only be heard by those under the age of 25. When installed in a rural town, Swindon in Wiltshire, the results were said to be effective with a decline in criminal damage and vandalism of fewer aggressive altercations in the area in which the sound was targeted. Some have said that a mosquito device was installed in Bridge End, but I looked through the council planning records and actually, though the idea was indeed discussed for a small underpass near a housing state that was being built, the council and the police both advised against installation on the grounds of potential infringement of human rights. But were the masts being used? Well, alleged former MI5 physicist Barry Trower claims he has first-hand knowledge of the sinister use of scalar waves, microwaves in Wi-Fi and masts, he claims that intelligence agencies have misused microwaves to negatively influence people from triggering heart attacks 
to taking control of a person's mind by reading their thoughts and changing their thoughts. They can remotely control someone without the person even knowing it. And people can be programmed to kill or kill themselves, he claims. He says it is easy to make people hear voices in their skulls. This is not mental illness. It's technology. His claim is that thousands of innocent people have been used as guinea pigs and he believes the testing of psychotronic weapons has been extensively carried out. Then there's Tim Riffat, an Englishman with a PhD whose work is the study of mind control technology and who quotes Dr Ross Ade of Project Pandora, whose behaviour modification experiments, he says, used ELF on the exact frequency as the current systems such as Tetra use, and the Aedes experiments caused frenzied emotional imbalance. As cited by several books on the topic, the USAF Scientific Board published a report back in the 1990s stating that from its studying of how the brain can be manipulated, quote, it's possible to create speech in the human body for the possibility of covert suggestion. Dr John Hall is renowned as a specialist in this field and has himself explained how subversive agencies can even directly access laptops and computers to remotely target the emotions of those using them. He says nothing is too far-fetched now. He cites Michael Persinger, an expert in behavioural neuroscience, as having once said he could himself quite confidently control every brain on the planet. This sounds like wild sci-fi. Well, Dr John Hall says that when someone suddenly starts hearing a voice in their head telling them to do something to themselves. It can also be done by audio spotlight. A handheld device zoning in to focus only on you so that no one else around you can hear it, even though they are walking right beside you. Was there really some kind of human experimentation going on here in this small rural area? Or was that all just madness? using the technology on a specifically narrow target group to see if it were possible to cause self-destruction en masse, but only in a certain type of demographic, in this case teenagers. Imagine if you could do it to all the men who would be called up to fight should there be a war. Well, so was this some kind of sick test run? Or just overwrought imagination. Perhaps we should look at a more natural solution. Although certainly it's no less frightening. Perhaps it's worth mentioning that very nearby is an atmospheric place called Candleston Castle, which sits amid dunes and marshland. A 14th century ruin it was featured heavily as a location in Kenneth Grant's books. Grant was a writer of the occult and a ceremonial magician who was once 
the personal secretary to Alistair Crowley. He was the founder of the Thelemite organisation, and on Crowley's death, he was appointed head of the OTO. There's evidence that the ruins of occult rituals having taken place, and Grant was an accomplished practitioner. Was some malevolent entity released from Candleston Castle? Grant does not reveal this in his books, though we know, for example, that one time with Crowley at his summer cottage, after a ritual summoning, they both believe they managed to evoke Pan, the great elemental spirit. Grant says, We saw Pan, the satyr, an almost human countenance, wreathed in foliage amid brilliant light. A haze hung over the ground. Did he release something else? They had been evoked and summoned at the ruins near Bridgend. Or did subsequent occult practitioners, who followed in his footsteps, to carry out rituals at the castle? Were the ritual texts of the OTO being taken too literally, leading to occult ritual workings being carried out there to release powerful, negative entities to deliver child sacrifices, as mentioned in the text of Alistair Crowley. Were these teenagers the sacrifices? But again, surely that's just being a little bit over-imaginative. Whichever is the real reason, and perhaps it is just the product of a deprived area, but... For people like investigative journalist Derek Goff, the answer is far from satisfactory. He maintains that these suicides are still happening. 